to the next episode of the Compete Waffle. My name is Alicia, Advanced Sports Dietitian with Compete Nutrition. This week, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you an incredible human called Jackie Bell. Jackie is an ultra endurance runner. Uh, she just last year became the youngest female in the world to complete the racing of the planet's four deserts within the year, including um, races that, that spanned 250Ks over seven days for each of those races, all very self-sufficient over Chile, Mongolia, Africa, Antarctica. So she has given so many insights into the challenges that brought what she's learned along the way, what running has provided her, um, who she ran for in terms of um, mental health and the White Cloud Foundation and why. Um, and at the end also goes through a lot of the professional athlete side of things in terms of gaining sponsorship and support and really how to nurture those relationships. So I feel like everyone's going to get something incredible out of this podcast. I learned a lot. I really enjoyed the conversation. I even had a few tears along the way, so very emotional chats. Um, and I am positive that both the everyday active individual all the way up to the professional athlete is just going to get a lot of um, meaningful thoughts and recommendations out of this that are really actionable. So enjoy the podcast. I won't talk anymore because uh, we absolutely had an amazing discussion that I can't wait for you to listen to. Cheers. Now, everyone, I am so, so excited about this next guest we've got on the Compete Waffle. Uh, the beautiful Jackie Bell has agreed to come and chat to us. Uh, she has worked with um, one of our advanced sports dietitians, Ali Disher, in the past, and Ali has organized this meet and is with us as well um, for this chat. So, Ali, Jackie, Hello. welcome. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. Um, as I was just saying, Jackie, I have been really excited about um, chatting to you ever since um, Ali brought up that, yeah, Jackie's really chill. She'll be so happy to chat. Um, so because I, I obviously um, followed your journey, particularly once um, Ben Seymour um, talked about you from the Atacama um, crossing. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this girl is incredible. So do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of what, first of all, the last year has looked like for you? Um, and then we'll kind of go through a bit more of your background and um, how it all came about. Yeah, for sure. Um, so last year I decided to take on the Four Desert Grand Slam with Racing the Planet. So that's four 250-kilometre ultramarathons across four of the harshest deserts in the world. So the first one was in Africa and then Mongolia, the Atacama Desert in Chile, and then finishing in Antarctica. Wow. And you didn't just complete them. You were the youngest female in the world to do that within the year, right? Yeah. So I was the youngest female ever. And I tried to go into the events in a competitive mindset as well. So I tried to really compete, not just participate. Yeah, that would be me as well. I, I don't do things by halves. And everything I've read about you before now, Jackie, is pretty much sums up that kind of personality that everything you do is 110%, whether that's a positive thing or a negative thing. Um, you know, you do tend to have that addictive personality, which I think endurance sports tends to um, really attract. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You've got to be a certain type of person, that's for sure. Just that little bit of crazy. <laughs> and Ali, um, I would love to hear from you. You're, um, you know, you were just saying the last time you saw um, Jackie um, in terms of like a business side of things was she was 100 days out from her first race. So I would love to hear what your kind of first reaction was to her challenge and um, how you approached it. 
Just be honest here too. Hey, I had to be honest. <laughs> How crazy on a, on a scale of not to 10 did you think she was? No. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think it's so um, lovely when you meet someone, when you work with nutrition, to just click with someone. And Jackie and I, I don't even feel like we had that sort of practitioner-client relationship <laughs> at all. We kind of just clicked as mates and had conversations about food um, to the point where you managed everything on your own in the end. Yeah. Um, Jackie didn't really need any input. And funnily enough, there were a few links with um, when I met Jack um, to the charity that she chose, which we'll talk about at some mm. point in the swap to another ultra athlete I was working with um, and we were just chatting before about how you would think, like you said, there's a little bit of crazy in these ultra endurance athletes, but you'd think they'd all be pretty similar, right? Um, and they're just so different. So mm. when I heard about Jackie and what she was doing, I was speaking with her running coach then and I thought, okay, it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of a person Jack is, and you completely surpassed all expectations <laughs> in terms of someone who was this young go-getter um, with this really, um, you know, high goal that she'd set for herself. And when we spoke about it, I think you you packing it in a bit. I was packing it in a bit. And it was just kind of like the complete unknown. You were doing trail runs around that 50K mark in training yeah. when we met. And my nutrition was all over the shop a uh, yeah. year and a half ago. Yeah. Mm. It was really – I was trying, like, lots of different things and trying to see what worked and I wasn't really sure. And the thing mm. is I was seeking professional help when it all started, but I'm very bad at – taking direction um so i kind of take little bits here and there from well i took little bits here and there from all the professionals and then found what worked for me mm. and that taking of all different things bits and pieces can make it really confusing for a bit there um where everyone has an opinion or something that's worked for them personally and then so when you try and mix match it all together and it doesn't work or parts of it work it's kind of then working backwards to then work out well, what's it for me and uh, what's actually going to work for me and I think part of nutrition is that everyone does have an opinion and everyone does have something that they've found work for them and they want to share that um, so yeah when you go to someone um, like Ali who can actually get through that and go okay well this is what's worked for you this is what we need to improve on it does tend to clarify that a little bit but there's so much um, you know in the, the ultra endurance that isn't um, textbook it's actually what's actually practical and we're just talking about the challenges of these um desert races that you did aren't just oh i'll go run 250k and every you know 10k i've got an aid station it's 250k over you know this that seven day period um where you've got to carry all of your supplies all of your food and all you've got access to in terms of support is water and a tent so um you know that's such a big challenge and how did you find that particularly in that first race um, overcoming that challenge? Um, well, even leading into it, like when I was first talking to Ali and then everyone else, it became really overwhelming figuring out who to listen to mm. and then what I also wanted to do. And Ali was really good all the way along. I'd always ring her and she'd just be like, look, you got to do what you really want to do and what feels good for you mm. at the end of the day. And so it was really good to have her support in that way. Um, and she was happy to let me figure it out. Yeah. And then um, so during the first race, I – guess I didn't really know like I, we get told that we are meant to take a minimum of it was 1400 no 
2,000 calories or something per yeah. day for the race. Mm. And so I packed that, so 2,000 calories per day, and it was made up of pretty basic stuff. So like breakfast is oats in like a little sachet and you add water to it and depending on your serving size i usually have like some sort of common muesli bar as well and a hot chocolate or some sort of coffee so that'd be breakfast and then lunches wouldn't be until i'd finished running that day mm. so it'd be 400 calories of mac and cheese or spaghetti bolognese or a dry packaged meal and i'd have my protein shake for recovery straight away and then about four hours later just before dead i'd dinner I'd have another 400 calorie dry package meal yeah. um, and then during running you know every after an hour in I'd try and fuel myself every 45 minutes to an hour with um, a cliff bar or gels and stuff like mm. that yeah um, and- but yeah so in the first race though I found that my pack was really heavy so on day one I woke up in the morning and thought oh I'll be right and I threw out probably two days worth of food yeah yeah so <laughs> pack lighter yeah. and by day four I had no food and I was struggling oh, wow, wow. That's, that would actually make me really anxious even just hearing that I'm like oh my god I don't know how I'd actually deal with that because even um just in the day-to-day environment if I know that food won't be available for a certain period of time I get this anxiety of like oh my gosh what am I going to get but you know like your how much energy you're burning and even just hearing that 200 calorie mark I'm like wow that is going to be such an energy deficit um, by the end of that week, but it's just, you know, survival mode for that seven days and recovery after. Um, and, you know, the conditions on some of your races, I was reading like the rain, the wind, um, you know, obviously Antarctica must have been a very interesting um, place. When you're running for that long and doing such a, um, you know, big race, what kind of things are going through your head and what kind of things are going in through your head, particularly on those later days when it is super challenging? to get you through and get you to the finish? Each race was kind of different. So race one, I had a really tough time on day four Mm -hmm. and it was the long day. It was about 85K and Mm. I was running really well. I was sticking with the front ladies that day and at about 50K in, they actually struggled with the heat and they felt really sick. So they dropped off. So I pushed ahead. But then about Mm. 5K down the line, I was battling as well. And then the next 25, 30K that day took me, I was doing about 3K an hour. So mm. it took me about eight hours or more to finish that day. So it ended wow. up being an 18-hour day. Wow. And I was out there by myself for eight hours just crying and mm. I had no food left. All I had was a dry um, mac and cheese meal and I had to just have that oh. with cold water. So that was oh disgusting. And I just dug myself into a really bad hole mentally though mm. and I couldn't get myself out of it. I was mm. just completely negative and I just absolutely I don't know if it was as bad as it was or I just mm. absolutely dug myself so deep I couldn't get out and um I'm really surprised I got through that day but then having that tough day I learned in the other races that when things were tough or weren't going as I wanted I just had to stay in a positive mindset and keep a fast walk on and yeah. you know it wouldn't be half as bad so it was just really trying to keep a positive um positive outlook on it and Mm. then even teaming up with other runners so being like all right i'm gonna run until i get to someone else and then just stick with them and the camaraderie lift my spirits yeah and i can't imagine there's lots of conversation happening during the um race just in terms of survival mode but it is nice just to have that person next to you and also i think in other races where people might do endurance races there's always that option to pull out if things get tough like you're pretty close to the finish line you can get a you know, you can get a car back to the finish line if worst case scenario, you get a flat tire on the bike. 
in this setting, there must be that feeling of, you know what, I can't turn around. I can't just stop. Like I am in the middle of nowhere. And I would imagine that's quite overwhelming in those moments where, you know, there's tears, there's no food. It feels really, really hard. Yeah, definitely. And like, but in a way you can turn it on its head and be like, well, Mm. there's nowhere I can go. So I may as well just do my best. Um, Enjoy the day, look around at the scenery and just, Mm go as best I can because there's nowhere else I need to be. I'm like, you know, I just got to stick it out pretty much. But it is funny you say that. I did in Mongolia race two, I found that I was able to team up with other runners and like this one lady, Karen, we literally ran and chatted all day together. I love that. I love that. And gosh, and how stripped back that conversation would have been, I'm sure, because you're both out of your comfort zone anyway. Um, Because I know when training um, for Ironman, I, you know, in those hours where you're just filling in time and getting that training in, you are in a different zone of you do share um, conversation that you wouldn't necessarily share over a coffee with a friend. It's just this stripped back version of conversation and um, relationship that you don't ever forget, I think. Way more vulnerable. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. You're just completely open with them. And Mm. she was awesome. She, her name's Karen, and she actually has, I think, three or four daughters. And so that, like, all these ladies, they're a fair bit older. So they would kind of look at me as another um, daughter. Yeah. And by day two, we were, we knew each other so well. And then on day four, I was like a fair bit ahead of her. But then she caught up to me at like 30 or 40K in. And I saw her about a kilometre behind me and I yelled out, Karen, hurry up, I need you. Like, I was starting <laughs> yeah. to really struggle. Yeah, I'm, I'm not turning around to get you. You need to hurry up and get to me. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it was really funny to yell out. She was like, I really need you right now. And then we just chat and run for the next 20K oh, and it would just be awesome. One of yeah. you would start to struggle and you'd be like, no, come on, we're going to run it in now. Mm. Like, And, yeah, it was just the best with her. And we still talk all the time and um, – yeah, she's definitely one of my closest friends now. Oh, I really love that. I, um, you know, you talking about that mental space side of things leads in so beautifully to um, the charity that you actually are running for um, and ran for and raised money for and also just working through how you ended up wanting to um, raise money and awareness for that charity would be so amazing to hear, I think, Jackie. Let's go back to Bali. Yeah. <laughs> so I was actually a few years ago, uh, two years ago, I was living in Bali mm. and um, I went over there to do my yoga teacher training course to kind of try and find a bit of balance. And I wasn't in a good place when I originally went over there, but then everything was really good after the yoga course. I kind of had a different outlook on everything. Mm. But then I got offered a job to stay and work at a fitness retreat there. So it was absolutely a dream come true, an amazing job. And the first week into working there, I actually was pulled off my scooter. Mm. So I was just scootering along to dinner and I got pulled off by my handbag mm. and um, by two guys on a scooter beside oh, me. Wow. And so when I got pulled off, I ended up in hospital over there for about two weeks before mm. I was fit to fly back home. And, you know, I had over 200 stitches throughout my body and oh, surgery was about six or seven hours to just clean out the open wounds. Mm. And it was pretty rough. So... Mm. After that, I came home and actually went straight to a hospital here in Brisbane, the Royal Brisbane, and Adam Scott, who was the director of the White Cloud Foundation, he actually met me and my family at the hospital and made sure I was taken care of. And so then after all of that, I when I decided to do the desert runs, I thought I really wanted to make it about something more than myself. Mm. Um, just because 
I really was worried about falling back into old habits and routines and mm. I was pretty off the rails um, with a lot of things. Mm. So I thought if more people are involved than just myself, then it would really make me accountable to pretty much everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's um, an incredible so what that accountability does. Yeah. Yeah, so I sat down with Adam and said, this is what I'm going to do this year. Um, I'm going to need a heap of sponsors because it's super expensive. Mm. But at the same time, I'm going to raise funds for the charity. And I don't want any of my friends' money or any of the kind of public um, – I don't want their money to be going to me to do these runs. I mm. wanted to go to the charity. Yeah. So, yeah, I set up a charity page and I ran a bunch of boot camps and a burger charity night and different events to raise funds and um, – I ended up raising over seventeen thousand dollars for them, so it's really wow. good. Wow! Congratulations, that's incredible. I love that. I think and when I still, sat down with Ali, I don't think I raised any yet either. I don't think so. Wow! Yeah, that was a good wow! Yeah, and and it just goes to show you can kind of live nature when someone tells you you can't do something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> And so I got really close. So I was really happy with that. Oh, you should be really, really proud. And do you want to give us a bit of background on what the White Cloud Foundation does? Yeah, so the White Cloud Foundation is a mental health charity that thinks that for a person to be completely healthy, it encompasses having a good balance with your mental health, your physical health, your emotional and your social well-being. So mm-hmm. the whole spectrum, not just one thing. And um, And they also have a really big focus on prenatal and postnatal depression which is really like really big these days and no one really um really knows about it it's yeah it's very unspoken it's yeah it's very much in the background yeah it's nice they're very much bringing it to the foreground and talking just talking a lot about it raising awareness yeah the stigma is absolutely still there the other day she's a super she's very similar to me so super outgoing really charismatic and she she like broke down and was like, she really struggled with postnatal depression really badly. And you would just not have picked it at all. And it was really interesting at the races last year because I was this young 23 year old um, bouncing around with so much energy and I was just crazy. Everyone was like, oh my gosh. But when they heard about the backstory of me having issues with my mental health and stuff, it really opened up the discussion of like people who you wouldn't expect to have issues with that, that, yeah, people who sometimes seem the happiest also are struggling. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's such a beautiful um, message to put out. How long, um, you know, when did depression first impact you, Jackie, and what, what really made you want to make a change um, or recognise that change needed to be happening over your whole lifestyle to actually improve your mental health? Um, it was probably like three or four years ago I was struggling with I was a competitive tennis player when I was younger, mm-hmm. so playing a lot of sport, like 30-plus hours a week. And then so finishing up with that and then, you know, starting to party a little bit when you turn 18, drinking and not being super healthy sometimes and not training as much, you know, it was mm-hmm. just inevitable I was going to put on weight and that really bothered me. So my weight started to bother me and then I was turning to food for comfort and so I was just in a really vicious cycle of um, with my eating and I'd almost say like I was binge eating and then so I struggled with that on and off for two or three years I'd go through phases where I was super thin and then put on weight and so that just really affected me and then I broke about five bones I broke five bones in one year and had my tonsils out and that's Mm. when I was introduced to pain medication so then I caught that and my Mm. addictive personality just yeah was that mixed with pain medication isn't a good combo Mm. and so I was just up and down for a few years and 
I would spend like three, four, five days on end in bed sometimes. I just couldn't, I didn't enjoy anything anymore. I didn't yeah. have a purpose. So yeah, I was just deflecting pretty much all my issues with food or drugs. Yeah, it's. I think that word purpose um, and identity are something that is so closely connected to mental health. And I myself had have two kids and um, that's probably what I found hardest when I had my first baby is that refinding my purpose, my identity as a new person was actually extremely difficult because I went from being at the head of my um, career, just working at the AIS. We moved town after that, just before I had the baby. Um, I was a triathlete, so I lost triathlete career, had a baby, and and moved house. And I was like, anyway, emotional. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, my identity was just extremely, extremely um, hard to refind. Um, to you know, so I didn't quite get to that point of postnatal depression. Um, but because of, I think the support I had around me, which was extremely valuable. Um, but I can totally see how, how someone who can come across so, so active, um, strong, um, can really struggle after a big change. And that change can be a baby, but it can be so many different things like stopping your sport. And, you know, you were probably known as the tennis player and then you stop that sport and, okay, well, who am I now? I don't know how to react in this situation or um, I need to refine what actually makes me happy. And that's a real challenge. I think um, Jack was just saying before we started, mm. Ali, you'll be proud of me. <laughs> I'm informed with my nutrition. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really wanted to um, talk with you about today was something that Adam from White Cloud actually said to me, which was part of the reason he started his foundation um, off the back of him finishing a big event. I can't remember what it was, you know, but he finished a, a big athletic event yep. and all hard work, grit, training that went into it, mm-hmm. it culminated in the event and then afterwards he had this post-event blues, you know, he was oh. really down, didn't have that purpose. Mm. Now that you've finished, I know you've got New Zealand coming up. You were worried about that. When we first sat down, mm-hmm. Alex said, this is great that this is your, you're going to do the four deserts and you said, but also, what are you going to do after this and where's your focus going to be? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ali, you're a legend. <laughs> she picked it. She picked it. <laughs> so good. So, did you finish the Grand Slam and go, I've got to find something else and that's what you've done? Or did you always know that there's something else in your sights? Mm-hmm. Um, or how are you approaching this differently to Jackie Bell tennis extraordinaire? Yeah. yeah. Um, so... After race one, I thought, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? I'm insane. This is going to be the hardest year of my life. I just don't even know. And even apparently a few of my friends and family were like, oh, we're a bit worried about her. Because if you go on and read my blogs, um, which I've never actually read back, but if you go on and read my daily blog entries, which I write at the end of each day in the desert, they're they're pretty funny to read, especially if you know me. Like It's super confronting with the way I talk about how the day went. Yeah. And um, because in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, it was great fun, but no, it was bloody hard. Yeah, yeah. and so after race two and three, I really started to enjoy the events. I was like, um, I felt like I had a bit of a knack for it. I was starting to do pretty well in them. And yeah, I was really enjoying the competition and I kind of fell in love with ultra running. So I thought, I don't want this to end here. So I started to think about, could this be more for me? Could I um, make this a way of my like how I live my life? And yeah. then I thought, all right, I'd love to do... New Zealand, it was always the next race. Mm. And then I didn't really know the plan after that, but I then realized that I could 
complete all of the seven continents and I'd be the youngest person in history to do an ultra on every continent. So that was what I kind of put in place then. But yeah, the whole thing's kind of turned into just my life now and just running and, you know, um, working in the health and fitness industry still. I've just, the running has really overlapped into my whole life though. So I feel like I have a purpose now and yeah, yeah, I just love it. That's fantastic. And I love that your purpose is not just impacting you, it's impacting so many and inspiring so many. And I think that's a really beautiful thing and probably helps to make that change and new habit as such um, so much more long-term. But yeah, I think it is, yeah, the what next is a really interesting thing because even as you said that, Ali, about, you know, that really big event and then the aftermath, I can actually now reflect on that baby feeling after, you know, finding a new identity to actually after Ironman because Ironman was always just something I just wanted to do once. Um, But, you know, you give up your life as you would know, Jackie, for these training events and um, in many ways that becomes you. So people talk to you about your training, your um, Ironman or whatever it may be, um, and that's then – Alicia's doing Ironman training it's not um you know that I know that that's what I can talk to Alicia about so afterwards you're like okay well if I'm not doing that and it's not taking up my weekends or um you know my weeks are full of training and recovery then what am I going to do now like who am I who what are people going to talk to me about so yeah it is something that absolutely exists and I can see why um you can get totally addicted to these types of things um, in another sense of that being your security but also your purpose and your identity, which is can be a real positive and it doesn't have to be negative. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And, like, I have a lot of people because all the people who do these races, they just do one-offs and whatnot, but because I have such a kind of social presence with doing it and how I train and the mm. whole thing with a blog and whatnot, I get lots of people approaching me on advice on how to pack their kits and all of this. And I like love guiding people through how to do their first one because I had a few yeah. people help me with my first one. And it was, um, it was really nice. And it was a good feeling to see them feel confident in everything they've got because they've been able to talk to someone who's been there and done that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I, I get what you mean. Lots of people, they always just say, how was Antarctica? <laughs> How's the training? How's the running? And um, there still is a lot more to me. Yeah. Yeah. I still do running. all this stuff guys. <laughs> I enjoy hanging out with my friends because they don't even ask me about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Um, this girl has so much more to um, talk about, definitely. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, In terms of telling people what to pack when people ask you those sorts of questions, I'm really interested. Was there anything when you were running, particularly when you ran out of food, that you were just like, man, I – I can picture that food right now or like, you know, how people talk about hallucinations. Yeah. Was there anything, any particular food where you're just like, I, I want that so bad right now? Actually, I loved um, salty chips because yeah. you are like, you're losing heaps of sodium, obviously through all the sweat. Yeah. I just, the chips were, I didn't take any chips in the first desert, but some yeah. other people had some and Oh my god, they were like heaven on earth, and I don't even eat chips back home. Like, and light, I don't that's it. That's <laughs> but pretty much any food that you don't usually eat back home, yeah, you know, junk food, this and that, you really want it out there in the desert. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I wish I told you that too, because that was one thing that someone had told me about marathon. I say it wrong every time. Marathon to start. Yeah, yeah. That people were stealing other people's food at the campsite and yeah. it was pretzels and chips. They yeah. were the two things that were just like, oh, my God, I would do anything to get my hands on those. Yeah, for sure. So good. And adding little 
treats every day. Have a yeah. little chocolate bar every night or, yeah. you know, take 500 calories a day of chocolate if that's what you want. Yeah. Um, it's so energy dense. It makes sense. Like, you, you know, like yeah. compared to the it amount of energy awesome. you're getting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, eating how whatever you can get in um, is definitely the biggest thing during these weeks. It's incredible. Like I still found of... like each week out in the desert, you're losing five, six kilos. I was going to ask everyone's you that. Everyone's yeah. different. But, yeah. um, and then afterwards, everyone's like, amazing. This is my race weight now. I want to stay at this. But you find no matter what you do yeah. over the next few weeks, you put it back on. Yeah. Because you sort of two months on average between – um, so between the first and second, there was about 11 weeks and oh, then wow. they got closer and closer. So between wow. the second and third was six weeks wow. and then it was only four weeks between the third Gosh. one and Antarctica. That's not much. That's not much time at all. No. Yeah. How did you find physically um, recovering and preparing, but also mentally recovering and preparing, probably from um, Chile to Antarctica in terms of uh, was there enough time in that? Four weeks did you find that was okay yeah i was really like after the second one i was really excited for all of them i could have done them all within two weeks sort of thing of each other but um training wise i was back training you know three days after doing the ultras and stuff i didn't need much um recovery but i did battle with really bad plantar fasciitis mm. all year and i still am i have a i was worried i had a stress fracture actually mm. and so i had an mri done to my mind to ease mm. and i have a 30 percent tear and nine millimeters thickening in my plantar fasciitis yeah. which if anyone knows like lots of people complain about a bit of plantar fasciitis and usually that's about four millimeters of thickening so my wow. podiatrist doesn't even know how i ran through that all year <laughs> yeah so that was that's incredible were there, were there any um <clears throat> ridiculous injuries ailments that people struggled through that stand out for you whether it was you or someone else lots of people were just complaining about blisters and stuff and sometimes i nearly said it but most of the time i didn't but i was thinking everyone's suffering with the blisters stop looking about it like no one's as worse than the other person's like or if it's not blisters everyone's got their thing you might have mm. skin your skin on your lower back could be absolutely red raw from your back backpack rubbing yeah, on it or yeah. um yeah just everyone gets different little things but mm. um Two guys who were doing the Grand Slam in race three. So the Grand Slam is all four deserts. They were up to race three, the second last day. Mm. One guy pulled out because he absolutely buggered his hip. I think he ended mm. up having a stress fracture in his hip. Mm. And another friend of mine rolled his ankle and he broke his ankle. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And he was a top five competitor. Yeah. Um, and yeah. You know, he'd already paid most of Antarctica as well and so much invested and mm. he couldn't do it. Antarctica was so close. I think he's going to do the Grand Slam all over again. (laughs) I think that would be me, right? Like if I didn't finish it and I set out to do it, I would, I I think I'd have to do it again. Like I I am definitely that personality where it's like, okay, I need to tick that box if I haven't ticked it. Um, Now I'm, I, I think I could talk to you all day about this side of things, the mental health and the use of running and exercise for mental health. Do you feel like that was a real key for you, Jackie, or was it definitely, you know, multifaceted in terms of a few different things that you changed? Or did you feel really that running was the key to igniting so much improvement? Well, I knew that running 5K of the morning, you know, getting the endorphins going, I felt really good. So I thought if I really make running a massive part of my life, then running more and more and more, I'd feel 
really good all the time. If I made five Ks to fifty K, gosh, this is I'm gonna feel amazing. <laughs> good and linear effect. I guess yeah. it kind of overlapped into the rest of my life. So I was yeah. training a lot, so you're actually craving good foods that fuel you properly and mm. I knew that I wanted to perform really well. So I had that extra motivation to eat well and now, you know, just my whole outlook on health is really a massive thing to me. So I now I don't really drink. Um, if I do, I'm capable of just having one, which old Jackie wasn't capable. She was half bowl of vodka. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, the old addictive personality. Ooh, there it is. <laughs> exactly. I've been able to find balance in kind of every aspect of my mm. life now and it's definitely just the running is overlapping into everything. And yeah, I love that. it's not it's hard to sit there and explain all the different things you've learned throughout the year, mm. but it was kind of you learn it as you go. So even just my perspective on things, I don't let little things worry me as much mm. anymore. And um, my mum said to me the other day, actually, she said, you know, you don't get stressed about when someone makes a little comment to you or mm. you don't get stressed about, yeah, stupid little things. You just suck it up, figure out how to fix it and then move on. So, yeah. Oh, that is really, really cool. You just mentioned your mum. I, I am assuming that they are ridiculously proud of you. You're, you were 22 when you started the poor desert? I was 22 when I decided yeah. to do it and then yeah. I was 23 when I completed um, yeah. all of them. But when I sat yeah. down and told them I was doing it, I had about $500 to my name and mm. I told my brother, because originally it was just going to be one 250K run in Australia and then yeah. I said, oh, I can be the youngest female to do all four and I get to go to these cool locations. And he said, yeah, sweet, do it. And my <laughs> parents were like, they didn't talk to me for about five days. Yeah. When I told them. They said, you can't afford this. It's going to send us broke, Jackie. <laughs> yeah. They said, you're on your own financially. I said, good luck. Yeah. And so I had to work really hard to get a lot of sponsors. Mm. And I was working a lot in the lead up to the first first and second race, really. Mm-hmm. And um, so while running, I was running up to 150K before the first race, mm. plus working 40 hours a week in the gym, It was, which is quite a physical job. It was yeah. really exhausting. Yeah. But as soon as they gave me some resistance, I was like, I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, man. I Yeah, this is every time. Like every time someone's told you that you can't do it, you, you have absolutely turned around and gone, oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> that is what I'm going to do now. Definitely. And like people also, um, I don't look like a typical runner, especially now because I haven't been able to run. I'm doing three, mm. four hours a day in the gym, doing bike, swimming, circuit training. Mm. And lots of little comments early on really affected me like oh you don't look like a runner and I would take that to heart so bad I would just misconstrue it in my head because of my own insecurities but Mm. now if someone says something like oh you're not your typical runner you know I just embrace and say no I'm not but I'm capable of doing it and I train really hard and eat well so yeah oh if I could bottle that message Jackie because how many times I get people saying, oh, I don't look like an athlete or I don't look like a triathlete or a runner or, you know, grouping. Because when you work with so many athletes, like Ali will probably agree with, there is no one body type. Like you can't predict from looking at someone what they're capable of um, or, you know, the performance they're going to have just based on what they look like. And I love that the more we actually challenge what the norm looks like um, and a beautiful um, friend of mine, Leah Gilbert, always said you can only be what you see. And so if you're there doing incredible things as, you know, a 23-year-old, you also don't look like your average runner, um, you know, someone's going to see that and go, oh, my goodness, like she's doing that. She's embracing that. She Her body type doesn't fit the norm, but 
wow, look at that, what that girl can accomplish. Look what she's improved. Look what she's inspiring. Um, and that just means so much more than just simply completing an event. And, um, yeah, I, I'm really big, particularly in that female athlete space of just being there, being present, and, you know, someone's going to see that. Yeah, definitely. And, like, a lot of the time the people who make those comments, it's their own – um, it's their own insecurity of them thinking because they are their size or their shape or their ability, they think they can't do certain things. And so they're wondering, well, how does this person do this? And um, they don't mean anything by their comments. They just really are maybe uneducated in that area. Absolutely. Or, yeah, just have that preconceived idea, which I think, you know, social media is breeding in some ways, but I feel like there is a bit of a kickback where social media can add a positive of showing that, and giving a voice to so many that anything is possible. Um, I think it'd be really interesting, Jackie, because you don't um, have like that influencer side of things in terms of your social media following. Um, how do you find that that impacts um, things like sponsorship, getting a voice um, and having that story shared? So I've been able to with sponsorship because the number one thing that all they they want is ex, they want exposure for their brand. So mm. when I was approaching trying to get sponsorship and stuff, I just explained all the different avenues that I'd be able to give exposure. So through lots of the magazines and the trail running mags and um, via media outlets and whatnot. So I was able to make up for my lack of Instagram followers with all of the other ways I was able to get exposure and via my blog and whatnot. Mm. And then found that all of that helped increase my Instagram following as well. And even though I've got a small following, my engagement's really good. So they all look quite highly on that. Um, yeah, good. And it's funny, I get lots of runners and ultra runners saying, you know, how do you get all these brands sponsoring you? Mm. And how have you gotten them on board? Because a lot of them will contact them and they get no's back mm. and they don't have any luck. But the thing is they're not putting in the same amount of effort into getting sponsors as they are as their training. And yeah. I totally get that the training is their focus and it is mine too, but mm. I'm not going to be able to compete and do these races without sponsors. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of these people just need to sit down and really put in the time and work into figuring out what sponsors want from you yes. and aligning brands that you have the same vision with being authentic and sitting down and putting together a really proper proper proposal and you know not sending a half-assed email with spelling errors on a word document you know i have a really polished pdf document that's got really high def images and what i'm about who i am and what i can provide them and so that they read it and say yep great jackie that is Honestly, one piece of advice that I am really excited to share um, with the athlete because I think as an athlete, it can be really um, hard to get out of you in terms of this is me, this is what I need and instead reflect on, okay, what does that sponsor need? What can I do for them to make sure that we're both winning out of this and to be polished to be um, making sure that you reflect the same values um, and making sure that you're continuing that relationship and adding to that relationship, not just getting something and then sitting back and actually working towards building that positive relationship is so valuable. And I think it's not just the athlete, it's definitely in business too. And it's something that we have learned. I know my hubby Dan and co-founder Dan has just taught me so much about um, the nurturing of partnerships and building relationships and how much work it actually does take and um, but how much reward is with it and have you found um, gaining sponsorship for goods um, very different to gaining sponsorship for monetary value 
Um, yeah, it'll, it'll just be interesting to kind of hear your thoughts on that. Well, it's interesting because I, I just think people that our day and age are quite lazy, especially if you do have that Instagram following. Mm-hmm. They'll just send an Instagram DM to a company and say, hey, can I have this? And the company, sometimes it'll be a yes, but um, Jaybird, who were actually just onboarded me, mm-hmm. now they originally a year and a half ago, I emailed them a really thorough um, sponsorship proposal mm-hmm. and all I wanted was headphones. Yep. So one pair wireless earphones and then throughout the year before every race i'd send them an email saying hey i've got the race next week love for you to follow along here's some images lately with my jaybird headphones and then after the race i'd send them all the high def photos that they're in so they never had to chase me and i was giving them mentions in my blog and i'd send them that link and i'd say it's had this many views i'd send them the exposure and then every race so all the time and once a month i'd be sending them an email and touching base with them yeah and then after a year and a half of that um, relationship, they stepped up and sent a videographer to Antarctica with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then following on from that, they're now sending a videographer to every race this year and they're my main sponsor and providing financial support and everything. So I did that with all my sponsors and so they never had to chase me. Mm-hmm. So I made it really easy for them. And I guess just all the companies that do provide product, there is definitely funds there to give you, but you have to prove to them that you care about them as much as you know they're giving you the money. Oh, well, um, I didn't expect to talk to you about this, but yeah, I really, really like that we have. I think that's a really, really key thing to talk about, you know, definitely in this day and age of influencer, but also when you are trying to make ends meet as an athlete there, when there isn't money in the sport, it's a really important take home and thank you for making it so um, actionable. I think that's a really cool thing. Um, Ali, I cut you off. I apologize. um, Going on the websites, looking up who to contact, Mm -hmm. then looking on Instagram, finding these contacts on Instagram, Mm -hmm. finding their emails, finding them anywhere you can, Mm -hmm. rather than I get people message me and say, Hey, can I have your contact with this brand? And straight away, they're trying to find a shortcut. Like, you know, they need to work on it themselves and build those relationships and just you got to put in the work. Everyone thinks it's that simple on Instagram. You yeah. don't see the behind the scenes and you think, oh, okay, great. You, you had a videographer, Jaybird, but it's probably, sorry, in Antarctica. Um, but it was probably just that they approached you on Instagram and they wanted to be involved and that was that. Yeah, everyone thinks I just got to take a videographer, but there was, you know, there was so much more to it. Um, so, and the brands can see straight through it when people just say, hey, I want this. Whereas with me, they they can see I've put in a lot of work. So they really like that. Did you just learn that? Did someone teach you that? Did you have a mentor in that process? No, I honestly just learned along the way. I, I looked up sponsorship proposals. You know, everywhere has sponsorship proposals, your local sporting team, universities, and you just take bits from it and make your own. And um, if you look back at my one from two years ago or a year and a half ago, it was so bad compared to what it is now. But, you know, it, I, it just got better from there. Yeah, I love I love when yeah, you can reflect back. Yeah, I love what you can, when you can reflect back on what you did like six months, twelve months ago, and go, oh my gosh, I'm lucky I got anything done. Like, how did I even get any sponsors? But I love that it's that continual improvement. And I've talked about this with Ali a fair bit recently of um, how much I've improved in actually being able to be open to continual improvement and not necessarily take it as a negative when you get feedback or um, criticism. It's actually an opportunity to grow and get better. And I love that you can kind of, you know, you've continually worked on you yourself as a brand in what you can add to others, um, not just in the obviously brand space and commercial space, but also influencing others. So um, Ali, did you want to throw in any more questions? 
Um, Jackie, do you have anything more to add? Because I, I, I just really want to, um, you know, that's just been such a positive discussion to finish on, I think. Probably the only thing I'd say to people is like with the sponsor stuff, um, you'll get knocked back probably 10 times, like before you even get one. And yeah. you've got to be in it for the long run. Like just yesterday, I got four no's, but I don't even think about it. It's nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just a great life lesson. Yeah. Mm. You've got to speak up. Yeah, you've got to persevere. You've got to be persistent. Resilient. Uh, yeah. Resilient, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Um, the only question I have, I guess, to wrap up is I know you've got New Zealand around the corner, but what's your bigger plan for the next few years? Um, so I definitely want to conquer all seven, um, seven continents with the ultras. And then I've got a few other little runs here and there that I want to be doing. But, yeah, just keeping working on my relationship with the different brands I'm involved with. I really um, am enjoying that. The people are awesome behind all the brands. And then um, I guess I, yeah, want to keep inspiring people to do things that they don't think are possible. So using this platform of running to for greater good, I guess, and doing some public speaking and, yeah, keep running and, yeah, I still my main thing is personal training, so still also working in the fitness industry. I don't think I'd ever not want to be doing that. Mm. And yeah, I love that. And I think your personality is, you know, that outgoing type. You're relatable. You're, um, you know, very funny. <laughs> um, in many of the stories you told us before, <laughs> between this podcast, um, of all the things you did while running, um, I just love that you're such a you know, amazing role model. Um, I can't imagine myself doing any of thing of like what you've done at the age of 23. So um, I am very, very proud to um, have met you um, and very honored to have you on the Waffle podcast. So thank you so, so much for joining us. I have enjoyed every single conversation and bit of advice that you've given. And I know that I've learned a lot um, from chatting with you and, and I hope that others do too. So thank you so much, Ali, for introducing us. And Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, you're awesome <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed our waffle, we would love for you to leave us a review and subscribe to our pod on either iTunes or Stitcher. For even more on all things nutrition and performance, make sure you follow Compete Nutrition on Facebook and Instagram. We hold a live every Thursday night at 8.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, this has been the Compete Waffle.